Welcome to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast, where we explore perceptions. How self-reflecting questions can give you a better understanding of self. I'm your host, Sonia Iris Lozada. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Poetic Resurrection. Today, we have Barbara Ann Briggs, a poet, and I mean, you have a fascinating life from dancing to meditation and spirituality. So you're going to read one of your poems. Okay. This poem is called Alone. Because I stood alone amidst the emptiness of space and beheld your beauteous form cast against the sky, because my heart knew you, majestic, divine, knew the dance that you danced in that twilight hour. Because I stood alone as you quivered silently in the wind, how strong and tenderly you moved. How graciously you smiled as I embraced you with my eyes. Because I can no longer move outside the circle of your infinite light. Because my eyes beheld you once like a thousand suns born and being born. Because my heart has been uplifted and my eyes washed with visions of stars. You have become the universe to me and all that I touch quivers with your life. That's really beautiful. That is really beautiful. I like that it's alone, but you're really not alone. So what prompted you to write the poem? Well, this poem was actually written as a result of an experience I had many years ago. When I was living in London, I was a dancing student. And one afternoon, I was just sitting outside, um, waiting for my class to start. And I turned and walked back into the into the hall. And suddenly, the whole room was filled with shimmering particles of golden light. And the room was just dazzling with light. It was shimmering with golden light. It was filled with golden light. And this experience was a sudden change in my perception. I'd been meditating for about five or six months and suddenly my perception just shifted spontaneously and it, it lasted for about 10 or 15 minutes. I was standing in the room waiting to begin my exercises and I was just completely in awe of the golden light which was shimmering and filling the entire room. So it was just, this experience was what inspired me to write the poem. The poem just came flowing out the pen a day or two later. And I realized it, it was inspired by that experience. It's like you were in the zone. You know, that's what I love about meditation. It gets you into a reality that some people would say it's surreal, but it's actually like a reality. We get there and it changes 
our entire being. No, it's just that we normally don't use that that range of our perception, but we have that, but we don't we don't have access to it. And you um, offline had told me that you went and you had you studied with a teacher. And that made a big influence. Now, when did you leave dance? Because you were a dance student in London. I left dance because um, after a year at the dancing student, um, that was in the um, mid-70s, after a year, I realized that most of my friends were actually meditating. I was living in London, and I, I started meditating several months before. And then I was in contact with many other meditators in the community. My best friends were all practicing the transcendental meditation technique. And after about a year at the school, I realized that I could contribute much more to humanity if I became a teacher of transcendental meditation than if I, I started to dance and just became a focus my life on dancing. Because I had actually started dancing seriously quite late in my life. And I realized that to become um, and to share what I wanted to say about life through dance, it would take a much longer time and it would be much more difficult to make an impact on the world. So after I decided to go and become a teacher of Can you describe to the audience what the difference is between regular meditation and transcendental meditation? Oh yes, of course, I'd be happy to do that. The difference between our most other forms of meditation is that they usually um, involve concentration or contemplation. Concentration is holding the mind on a particular focus and not, not letting the attention shift. And this is usually um, found to be quite difficult. And then people say, well, I can't do it. I'm not able to. I get very tired. I can't keep my mind focused on a candle because my, my attention keeps shifting. And concentration is um, like treading water. If we're in a pool and we have to stay in one, it's much more difficult to tread water than it is to swim around because it takes much more energy. In the same way, if we try to hold the mind on a particular focus, the mind naturally wants to expand and to hold it on a particular point of attention may prove very difficult. And that's why some people say that they're not able to meditate. Another form of meditation is lifting ideas like God is love, I am one with God, the universe is my family. We can go from one idea to another, but it's still swimming on the surface of the pond rather than diving to the depths of the ocean. With transcendental meditation, we take a dive to the very depths of the ocean to fathom that level of pure consciousness, which is the very foundation of life itself. So that's the difference between transcendental meditation and most other forms of meditation. The regular form of meditation, we have to be consciously aware, whereas in transcendental, it's going into the soul and allowing it to just be. Is that correct? It's transcending the boundaries of the mind, transcending the surface active thinking level of the mind and going to the very depths. The, the deepest level of the universe and the deepest level of the human mind are actually consciousness, consciousness, that field of pure intelligence. Even physics is saying that the, deep, the, the universe is more like a big mind than a physical, um, a, actually a field of percolating 
field of intelligence. And the deepest level of the universe is a field of unbounded intelligence. And that intelligence can be accessed during our meditation. And during transcendental meditation, we take a, we just learn how to take the correct angle, which is inward, and the dive happens automatically to that field of pure consciousness, pure being, pure intelligence. There's been something, because I've been, you know, I study meditation. I'm, I'm not a teacher by any means like you, but what I find people have confusion and myself as well is what actually is consciousness. So someone could understand basically what consciousness is. Consciousness is actually the inner wakefulness of the mind, that inner awareness that allows us to be awake, that allows us to experience. We experience um, the, yes, consciousness is the inner wakefulness of the mind, that inner awareness that allows us to experience, that allows us to know, to perceive, to be aware of what's going on. Con that consciousness is who we are. We know life, we experience life through our consciousness. The more awake we are inside, the more we have that inner awareness, the more we can experience of life. When we're fast asleep, we're not conscious. But when we wake up, we're conscious. We have that consciousness, that awareness, that inner wakefulness of the mind. This is what consciousness mm -hmm. is, that awareness, that um, the inner wakefulness, the inner alertness of the mind. Consciousness is actually all there is. Thank you, because that is what actually bonds us together. Yes, it does. Because we're all conscious beings. We're all conscious beings. Yes. When you get to that level, then you realize it's a oneness. The biases people have, it means nothing. No, the biases are all relegated to the surface of life. If we go to the depths of life, there's only one, one unified field, one unified wholeness of life. And as you say, consciousness is what binds us together. Even stones and, and, and trees and, and animals, everything has consciousness, but to a different degree. They might have much less lively consciousness, but everything is, is made of that field of intelligence. So everything, every grain of creation has some degree of consciousness. But we're the only human beings can be conscious of consciousness itself. Only human beings can experience the field of pure consciousness. It's also a field of bliss. There have been times where I have meditated and I feel this joy just come from being in that zone. Yes, because the field of pure consciousness is a field of sat, chit, ananda, eternal consciousness of bliss. It is a field of infinite bliss. It is a field of perfect balance. It is a field of eternal, eternal oneness. It's the home of all knowledge and the home of all the laws of nature. It's like coming back home to who we really are. So naturally, it will be a field of infinite bliss, just as the, as it, the experience of coming back home is experience of joy and inner satisfaction and inner contentment.
And I am guilty of like meditating so much to stay in that bliss. And then I have to remind myself I'm in a material world, so I can't stay in that bliss all the time. But it helps me deal and maneuver better in my life because I was able to reach that. And things that I used to find that were so important aren't important anymore. Yes. Well, when you practice transcendental meditation, what happens is we meditate for 20 minutes in the morning and the evening. And then we don't try to carry that into activity. What happens is it gradually becomes infused spontaneously into our daily activity. It's like dyeing a cloth. Meditating is like putting the cloth in a vat of yellow dye. When we bring the cloth out into the sun, some of that yellow color fades, but some of it remains. And just by meditating regularly, the color over a period of time, it begins to become color fast. So we begin to be able to carry that bliss without even trying. It becomes infused spontaneously into our daily activity. I, I think that's a beautiful thing. This is the same way that the benefits of meditation become permanent over time. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. Now you went from London and we're way off the poem alone, but I think in what we're discussing, you're going through the transition of why. You also studied with a, a certain person and you ended up moving to India from London. And you're originally from New York, right? I'm originally from New York, yes. You went to India and you decided to stay there. Who was your teacher in India that prompted you to move to India? My guru is Mahashi Mahesh Yogi. And the first time I, I went to India, it was it was as a result of an invitation from Mahashi Mahesh Yogi. I was in the um, yogic flying competition, and I was one of the winners in the competition. And everyone who was who won was given a free trip to India as a gift. So I was I I had a free trip to India to compete in the international yogic flying competition. And then I, I, I remained in Mahashi's ashram for four months, and Mahashi was there, and the Shankaracharya also visited. It was a very special time in my life. I was extremely happy in India. I felt that as if I'd finally found my home. And that is so important because I've traveled looking for a home someplace that felt okay. I, but what is this contest? What, what did it entail? The yogic flying contest? Mm -hmm. The yogic flying competition, um, it, it, the um, TM City program, S-I-D-H-I, city means perfection in Sanskrit. And um, this was a competition um, which was a, a test of people who were doing the advanced program. And we were, we were competing in the hurdles, the high jump, the 50 meter dash, different competitive skills First we'd meditate and then we'd compete. And we were competing in lotus position. We were sitting cross-legged and we had to um, raise off the ground in the yogic flying competition. And we were tested on high jump, long jump hurdles and 50 meter dash. And yeah, <laughs> it sounds incredible, but um, Mahashi actually had scientific experiments done and they found that during the yogic flying, um, the brainwave coherence is, is increased phenomenally 
it, there's incredible, incredible coherence in the entire brain during the yogic flying. And this coherence, which is increased so much, it spreads into the environment. And actually people who are practicing yogic flying in areas which are, have crime or violence, this violence and crime begins to decrease when there are large groups practicing yogic flying together because the coherent waves spread into the, into the atmosphere and they calm down the violent tendencies. So this is why Mahashi was focused on the yogic flying because it actually has the ability to calm down the violent tendencies in society and in different countries. This, uh, this effect has been tested many times in different countries. That's fascinating. And it made me think of this one uh, woman I was listening to who went to a town and the entire town meditated. So the energy was very uplifting for these people. But uh, my question is for this yogi flying, Do is it a thing that is done by chanting and sound? Because I know sound has energy to lift. No, no, this is, this is just done. We meditate. We just do our meditation with our eyes closed. And when we finish our meditation, the, we, we are also practicing an advanced program, which you can learn after four months of meditating, the TM City program, which enlivens different areas of the brain. So we practice that program, and then we practice the yogic flying. And there's no chanting involved. It's, it's done in silence. You just practice the yogic flying technique, and the body begins to lift off the ground, um, like a frog hopping. And as we become more skillful, we're able to jump over the hurdles. And there was even a, a man who was able to jump several feet in, on the high jump. He'd just sit in front of the high jump, and he just, in one jump, he'd be on top of it. So, um, you know, the men, some men really excelled in this quite incredibly, actually. That's fascinating. Yes, it is. It is fascinating. It was quite an experience. I've heard about this, but I've never seen it. Yes, I competed in, in quite a few of the competitions. I'm going to look it up because I think that's so fascinating. It's amazing what the mind can do. This is actually a test of, um, a test of how, of how deep we're going in our meditation. That is fascinating. So tell me why you chose to stay in India and what is it that you are actually working on and you're a teacher there, right? I, I wanted you to tell us about your, your journey in, in, in India and, you know, I know you're a teacher there now. Well, I'm mainly focused on writing. I'm, I'm working on another book. I've had a few books published, as you might know, and I'm working on my third book, which is called The Secret of Creative Abundance, Ooh. Alignment with Your Spiritual Nature. So I'm, I'm working on this book. It talks about the value of the experience of pure consciousness for the creative process. Oh, I love that. That's something I would love to read. It's about art, creativity, and the experience of pure consciousness. And I'm also working on another book, My Life in India an empowerment narrative. Can you tell us about your first two books? Well, my first book I wrote about, which was inspired by, by the teachings of my guru. This book is called the, um, the Contribution of Mahashi's Vedic Science to Complete Fulfillment in Life. It has over 100 quotations by Mahashi Mahesh Yogi. 
And it goes very deeply into all the different aspects of Mahashi's Vedic science with um, explanations of very abstract concepts. And this book would be very helpful to anyone on the path of transcendental meditation, because it, it, it really goes into all the contributions Mahashi has made to unfold the Vedic knowledge in its pure form. So that book um, is, I'm making it into an ebook, and it'll be available on Amazon in the next couple of months. Oh, perfect. And your second one? The second one is Pilgrimage on the Path of Love. And Pilgrimage on the Path of Love is a book that I wrote mainly in India. And it, it's about the, the experience of a woman who travels alone to India in search of fulfillment and the experiences she has and the very challenges she faces and how she emerges triumphant with a much deeper understanding of the purpose of her life and the meaning of true love. And this book also goes into an explanation of some of the um, transformation from human love to divine love. Oh, beautiful. Is that a memoir or is that fiction? No, it's drawn from my experience in India, but I, I didn't call it a memoir. It's a novel of visionary fiction. Of course, I, I drew from my experiences, but I I call it a novel of visionary fiction. Well, that's beautiful. I could read you a, a little bit about... Um, oh, I would love that. A small section of it when I speak about that quality of divine love which has gone into more deeply in this book. Please, I would love to hear it. Yes. Can you read a little bit of it for us? Yes, of course. I'd be happy to do that. I can, um, I can actually hold up the book. Perfect. This is the book, Pilgrimage on the Path of Love. And um, this is from chapter 11 of this book, Pilgrimage on the Path of Love. This is about um, that quality of love. There are moments in one's life when words only clutter the innocent realm of pure emotion. Sometimes it is better to just witness the flowing waves that gather rippling round the rocks and eddies in the river of life. Sometimes it is enough just to know that silence contains its own language, but to hear and heed this inner language one must put the thinking mind to rest. This was one of those moments. Tashi leaned forward on the divan, and I felt his touch, though we did not touch. He opened his lips as if to speak. No sound came forth. Yet I heard the voiceless voice of his soul echo in the stillness. We sat wed to silence for some time. And as ordained by the gods, no one entered that space during our communion. Then suddenly the moment ended. I reflected, our lives are the same. I recognize myself in him. Something in him calls awake my inner being. I want to run into his arms, but this is part of the illusion. This I know, and yet the feeling continues. We have met and our hearts have commingled in the heart of God, where the body is as wind, a golden breath on the lake of pure consciousness. There in the shrine of the infinite being, 
There are no arms or legs or bodies to touch. There is only one eternal melody shimmering in the ocean of pure love. That is well-written and beautiful because I felt it. I, I felt that yearning and yet acceptance and the love in there. Thank you. That's really beautiful. My pleasure. We are getting to the end of the interview. Is there anything that you would like to address with the audience? Um, the only thing I would like to say is art is very powerful. All forms of art can can be a vehicle to transform uh, um, human consciousness and help consciousness to expand and evolve. And I feel that um, the purpose of art is to elevate and inspire and lead people to higher consciousness. So I, I feel that the role of the artist is very special. We have to really take this role seriously because the world is really in need of an expansion of consciousness. And anything we can do to infuse more love, more harmony, and more peace into, into the world will be very, um, very gratefully received by everyone on this planet. So I feel the artist has a special responsibility to lead the way toward the expansion of human awareness. That's all I wanted to say. I so agree with you. And they have found in schools when they take away the art programs that the students don't do as well. Art in life, period, even if you want to decorate your home, it's an expression. Yes. And allowing ourselves to express is very important. Yes, very important. Yes. And to take that expression from the deepest level will really change the world. It definitely will. has made a change in my life. So firsthand, I can agree. Is there anything else before we sign off? Plus, how can people get a hold of you? Um, people can, can um, contact me through my website. My website is um, barbaraannbriggs.com. And all my contact details are on that website, barbaraannbriggs.com. And I have um, a contact page. And anyone who would like to um, send me an email, my email address is also on my website. So um, feel free to come to the website, visit, listen to my podcast, which is on most of the podcast websites. It's called Essence of Life. Thank you so much. And I will put all that information below so that we can get in touch with your beautiful soul. And thank you so much for being on the show. It was my very great pleasure. It was really um, very enjoyable to speak to you. And thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you so much and all the best. Very best wishes to you. Blessings. Thank you for listening to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast. Available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, and many other podcast platforms. Please visit us and subscribe to our newsletter at PoeticResurrection.com for the latest information and updates.